What's up, it's Andrea. Today, Captain Picard is a master at playing it cool. We deep dive into a shuttlecraft Easter egg, and we ask the question, where does all this space dust come from? Special note, master musician Chris French has provided another incredible original. Stay tuned. Welcome to the TNG Podcast, the number one place in the Alpha Quadrant to geek out about all things Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm your co-host, Sharice. I'm your co-host, Andrea. Today, we're talking Season 3, Episode 2, Ensigns of Command. This episode was written by Melinda Snodgrass and directed by Cliff Bull. Data is given his first command responsibility on a planet whose human colonists are in danger. The Sheliak, a violent alien race which stringently adheres to legal precedent, plans to colonize the world which legally belongs to them. When the population refuses to evacuate, Data must improvise in order to persuade the populace to leave before the Sheliak reach the planet and destroy the colony. Aboard the Enterprise, Captain Picard attempts to find a loophole in the Federation's treaty with the Sheliak to stall the attack. Sharice, do you have any initial thoughts on this episode before we jump in? I do. I like this episode so much. Like after I finished my review of it, I just was kind of like, this was good. Um, this was very good. Like, I mean, similar to last week's episode, right? I I really enjoyed last week's episode as well with the nanites and all of that. And so mm-hmm. season three is off to a good start. I really couldn't complain. I mean, I was annoyed by some of the characters, but that wasn't because the writing was bad. That was because the characters were just stupid people or annoying people, right? <laughs> So I I really enjoyed this episode. I'm so excited to talk about it. How about you? Yes, I agree. I really like this episode. Um, I had a hard time remembering which one it was. Um, I thought it might be the one where Data crashes on a planet and loses his memory. And he's got those like radioactive pieces. And I was like, that's exactly what I thought this was. Yes. Yes. I was like, is that this one? Wait. So I, it took a moment, it took a moment to jog my memory. A couple things. I love that this is I say real, but I feel like this is the first real planet they visit that has like a society. It has a town. Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? All like white or all black or all blonde yes. where there's yes. like different people with different opinions. <laughs> yes. It felt like a real town. It felt like a real, yeah, exactly. Like the, like the a real society. Edo's planet. Yeah. It just felt really like uh, weird. And then even like Sarjenka's planet, she was the only one that we saw. This was like mm-hmm. a functioning working society, which I was like, oh, this is really cool. The other thing I really love about this is that the A plot and the B plot are both the same plot. There isn't like an alien race playing <laughs> fucking laser tag in the hallways while they're trying to like do a treaty or something weird. Like it felt like this was just the same plot, but tackled from two different angles. And I was like, it yes. Was cohesive. I loved it. I loved that so much. Um, All right. Well, let's just jump right in. Uh, We start at a concert in 10 Forward. I love this. This is the first of many concerts that happens in 10 Forward. Um, And I love to see Captain Picard and Dr. Crusher sitting at a table together. Mm -hmm. And kind of, it's not implied or explicit that they're on a date, but it seems like they just met up and went together and they're sitting together at a table. And I was like, yes. Yes, this is the Crusher mm-hmm. Picard more personal relationship that I love mm-hmm. to see. We never got to see that with Dr. Pulaski. I love that. Well, that's because they they pitted Pulaski against Picard, mm-hmm. which I actually thought was a really smart move on their part because that's where shows kind of go wrong when they replace a character but try to make them exactly the same as the old character, which they can't do because it's a totally different actor or actress. So Mm -hmm. I thought it was really genius for them to make it an adversarial relationship between Pulaski and Picard, but with respect. 
Um, but now that she's gone and Beverly's back, now we're back to the secret love interest, friendship, whatever. Yeah, I thought that was really cute. You know, I didn't realize that this was the first of many concerts in 10 forward, but I did mm-hmm. recognize the Vulcan. I mean, I didn't recognize, but I saw the Vulcan come in yes. and take their place with the instruments. And I was like, wait, is this the first time we're seeing a Vulcan on TNG? Because I know mm-hmm. that Uncle Gene was very against the old school <laughs> um, aliens coming back. So I was like, huh, I don't think we've seen a Vulcan yet on the show, right? I don't think so. Also, I really noticed their outfit was amazing. It felt like it was they were dressed for like laser tag or something and have like red panel, <laughs> kind of like the Ambo Jitsu a little mm-hmm. bit. Like I feel like they recycled some pieces from the Ambo Jitsu scene with Riker and his dad. And it just made this super cool looking outfit. Um, I will post a picture of that outfit on our Instagram at the TNG podcast. Um, she or he, I, I'm assuming it's a she, uh, looked amazing. Amazing. Um, Mm -hmm. And yes, they do have many concerts in 10 forward. They also have many plays staged in 10 forward, Mm -hmm. which I think definitely gives the ship a more personal, like coffee house vibe feel like 10 forward is definitely a place to like kick back, relax, watch a show, listen to some music. They could easily have done it in the holodeck, but I really love that actually wasn't 10 forward instead because Mm -hmm. the holodeck then just becomes the any place you go to have fun is the holodeck. And I'm like, no, you can relax like other places. I really, I really dig that. Mm -hmm. Um, so data comes in and he sees the captain and the doctor and he's like, you might want to watch the second performance because somebody else is playing the violin and I just don't have the soul. And I thought it was really clever for Picard and Crusher to advise him, like, don't advertise your weaknesses before you even get started. Like, that's not a good look of command, which Mm -hmm. is of course, foreshadowing for later in the episode. Um, but I thought that that was kind of lovely for them to be like, Data, you know, they're kind of doing the hand across the throat motion where it's like, no, 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 don't do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I really love that, too. I thought that was a really good and sweet piece of advice. Um, sweet being like th- that Data is so innocent, right? And he's he's really self-conscious about both Picard and Beverly watching him play, which, yes. you know, he's always like, I have no emotions. I have no emotions. But he's like, I don't want you to see me because I'm not very good, you know, Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. and then just to have kind of mom and dad saying now, now, (laughs) yes, Dr. Crusher, our mom and dad. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so I I really like that little scene where they were like, now it's okay to be aware of your limitations, but there's no need to advertise them. That's going to make people not respect you as a leader and excessive honesty can be damaging. So data's mm. like, oh, okay, honesty is good, but not, not too much. Okay. Got it. You know, he's yes. t- still taking notes on humanity. I loved it. Definitely. And I mean, he is very straightforward. He's like, isn't honesty the better, you know, basically is, isn't honesty the best policy. And they're mm-hmm. like, he, he, yes, but you don't want to go advertising your weaknesses to your, to those who are beneath you in rank, because it doesn't give the feeling of like confidence in your leader that you need people to be operating with, you know, in order to get the job done. So, yeah. Um, and Beverly adds to that. Um, and you might start to believe in those limitations yourself. Yeah. So it actually erodes your confidence in yourself. And I was which, taking mental notes for me. I was like, yes. Oh, okay. Got yes. It. <laughs> oh my God, Cherise. Thank you. I feel like, I feel like that's just us, but, re- but it's not, I feel like it's everybody in the world. <laughs> I 1000% talk poorly about myself and then start believing that 
And mm-hmm. it's like, oh yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks, mom. <laughs> Thanks, Dr. Crusher. <laughs> um, so Data sits down. It's this lovely string quartet. They're playing a piece by Mozart that's very recognizable. And then cue the record screeching because mm-hmm. Chief Brian is playing the cello. Did you notice that? I did not notice that. Chief O'Brien is playing the effing cello. I was like, what? <laughs> Colomini is like, my contract states I need to be in this many episodes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what was going on with Chief O'Brien being in all these random scenes. However, <laughs> because I mean, and we've talked about this before offline. So far, he's pretty useless on this show so yes. far. But this yes. episode, I think, is really his episode to shine, even though we don't totally see him shining. But this would be his episode to shine, right? Uh, but usually he's kind of useless. However, when you get to Deep Space Nine, like he's so cool. And I'm like, man, I guess maybe this is where they wanted to go or they couldn't because Jordy was already the chief engineer. So we don't really mm-hmm. need a transport chief for anything at all. Well, I don't know. You know, I actually really always liked Chief O'Brien. Um, and I think I really liked him because it's later seasons of TNG, Chief O'Brien. Mm-hmm. But some of these earlier episodes, I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Like randomly playing the cello and then randomly <laughs> like in the turbo lift, like looking shifty and then randomly, it's just like shoehorning around, right? Like guarding time, you know, time travel Picard's dead body while present Picard, like just casually strolls to the bridge. Like you're just mm-hmm. in, you're just weirdly inserted. So this is one of those places where if you blink and you miss it, but Chief O'Brien is playing the cello in this string quartet. I was like, okay, <laughs> there he is. Um, but this is all literally the first two minutes. <laughs> so Picard gets a subspace message from the Shelyak, which is an alien race that's not had contact with the Federation in 111 years. Um, and they say that there's this planet that legally belongs to them there's a human colony um, on the planet and the enterprise are ordered to remove this human colony uh, or the Sheliak will exterminate them and they basically will be arriving on the planet four days so you have four days to evac these humans mm-hmm. um i love that there are races that don't have contact with the Federation. And then when they do, the mm. whole Federation is like, what, what? <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? I really dig that. I love a good isolationist good planet. That's a good point. I didn't think about that. And not only are they xenophobic, but they're also like consider themselves to be superior, which we don't see that often. I think we saw it before with the Godship and the Edo, but usually the Enterprise are the ones who are coming in like, we know more than you. We have technology. Yes. You know, but this is a a difference where there's a race that's just like, you guys are vermin. You're lucky we're talking to you at all. Get Mm -hmm. off our planet or we'll kill you. You know, it's like, oh, oh, um, okay. You know, and you see them all like jump to attention and scrambling. What do we do? And, you know, what humans, what are they talking about? Yeah, that was, that was kind of fun. I thought that the danger was very real to life in this episode Mm -hmm. in a really like anxiety inducing way, but it wasn't a virus. So just refreshing, like all of it was refreshing. Season three, girl, season three, we're not going to have virus, virus, viruses everywhere, but absolutely it, that was refreshing. Um, And you're absolutely right. The enterprise is usually coming in as the dominant race, the dominant technology, the dominant everything. And the Shellyak are like, you are ants. Like I kept every scene where they were communicating with the Shellyak. I kept picturing the Shellyak were trying to talk to ants 
And also being like, I don't know why I'm even talking to you because you're mm-hmm. completely unimportant. I'll just destroy, mm-hmm. you know, just call, we're the exterminators. We'll get rid of this ant colony and just move on to the planet. Mm-hmm. Period. Um, and so the something special about this planet is that there's hyperionic radiation, which sounds very cool, but it's basically like there's this radiation that doesn't allow transporters to get through. Um, or and, any technology to work, really. Any of yes, the Federation technology. Absolutely. Which, you know, come on, Federation. <laughs> you're supposed to be the like dominant technology. A little bit of radiation. You're like, nothing works anymore. Ah. You know, <laughs> so I think like, it's probably some pretty intense radiation. So data <laughs> explains later that it scatters electron electronic fields. So mm-hmm. it's more just like their technology can work, just not properly. Like it yes. won't actually target anything, yes. which you need your That's transporters why... to be able to target or they don't work. Exactly. Exactly. So that's why the transporters won't work because you can beam stuff, but nothing goes through to the right place or it scatters mm-hmm. and then comes back broken, which we'll see later mm-hmm. in the episode. Um, so data sent to evacuate the planet and Riker's like, you know, I'm surprised that any humans can live with this hyperionic radiation. It, it's toxic. Because it's toxic. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's totally lethal. So we might have like a dozen colonists down there and data gets to the planet. That maybe like crash landed, right? They were like, yeah. maybe that some, somehow something crash landed and there's like, you know, 10 people yes. like barely alive still on the planet. So this should be like a <laughs> yes. pretty quick job. Yeah, it's like, let's just load the 12 people on the shuttlecraft and get the F out of here. Um, Mm -hmm. So Data lands on the planet. He meets a couple of people who are like, ooh, we need to take you to our leader. Um, (laughs) And so he walks over there and finds out that instead of a dozen people, there are 15,253 people living on this planet. And the ship goes, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, we can't Mm -hmm. possibly, even with the transporters working, it would take four weeks and four days to get all these people out. And we are talking all 20 transporter rooms working around Mm -hmm. the clock. Like Mm -hmm. chief O'Brien isn't going to get a break in weeks. Okay. Mm -hmm. Cause apparently he's the only one who could work the transport. I don't know. (laughs) Um, so, (laughs) So this is, this is a major issue. And then also, can we talk about this gorgeous town, like set design? I mean, there's stairs and buildings and aqueducts and fountains. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this is not a couple of people hunkered down in a shelter, just trying to survive Mm -hmm. and hope that a ship comes to save them. This is gorgeous. It was, it was really lovely, really believable. I didn't even notice it really because I was so in the story, like nothing broke me from the story. Nothing was like, what, who's that guy walking in the background wearing overalls? Like nothing weird happened. It was just so cohesive. And the thing that got me was when Data was talking to those first two kind of ambassadors, for lack of a better word, who went to find mm-hmm. the ship. And they were just like, we'll show you to our leader. You, you the Federation is going to be so proud of everything that we've accomplished, right? Because they're mm-hmm. very in, in, um, ingenious and mm-hmm. innovative society. And they're really proud of their kind of like cowboy mentality, right? Like the settler mentality of conquering this, this land that's really harsh to live in and all the technology they've created. And I just thought to myself, oh, they're going to be so disappointed with what data has to say. <laughs> like every, they were just like, oh, you just wait till you see everything we've done. Wait till you see everything we've built. And data is going to be like, that's great. And also it's time to go. Like you gotta, you gotta leave all this stuff. The Federation's not going to be giving out awards. 
Um, yeah. That's not what this, this trip is about. The, this is not the end of Star Wars where everybody has a medal ceremony, you know, and Chewbacca mm-hmm. yells at everybody to stand at attention. You know, this is not what this is going to be. So, <laughs> it's sci-fi. There's crossover. So <clears throat> Data meets... <laughs> Data meets the leader of this society. His name is Goshevin. And he's less than happy to hear that they're going to have to evacuate. And that I think is an understatement. He's like, nobody's leaving. And I'm like to myself, uh, I'm going. Okay. <laughs> the leader yeah. can be like, nobody leaves. And I'd be like, Hey Dita, can I hitch a ride on your, um, shuttlecraft? Because. Yep. And I know you only have <laughs> space for like 10, cause that's what you're expecting. So I would like to be one of the 10. Yeah. Let so me much. go ahead and get in line. Like I'm camping out for tickets right now to get off of this planet. And this is something I'm not understanding. Data makes it fairly clear, like there's an alien race, this planet legally belongs to them as per this treaty that was signed a billion years ago or whatever. And Mm -hmm. um, they are coming in four days and they see us as um, ants. And so they Mm -hmm. will exterminate the ants and then move on to the planet and you will all die. Mm -hmm. And Goshman's like, um, thanks for the offer. We're going to go ahead and decline. And I'm like, buddy, mm-hmm. this is not something you, I don't understand. And he's like, well, my grandfather is buried on that mountain. And this is where I belong. It's like, well, you're going to be dust in like two days. Mm-hmm. So I would probably start making final plans. Um, I don't understand that. I do not understand when, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think this is kind of a mentality that we see when we live in California, we are cursed as global climate change continues to ravage the planet with wildfires. And we've always had wildfires, but they have gotten exponentially worse where Mm -hmm. every year around September, October, you know, fire season, the end of summer, everything's really dry. We've been in a drought for many years already. Mm -hmm. Um, These fires are like breaking the record from the previous year and just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And firemen are telling people to evacuate. And they're like, no, this is my home. I'm not leaving. Honey, mm-hmm. the you are going to die here. Like you, I don't know if you understand that. I don't understand. I don't, I don't get it. I had the exact same reaction. Every time Goshevin was on, um, was front and center. I was just so irritated by him for so many reasons. First, I agree with you. It's totally like the people in those situations who don't want to leave. And that the image I had fire is, is an awesome one as an awesome example, the example that I was thinking is when there's like a hurricane and people have plenty of warning when it's like, Hey guys, there's going to be a hurricane in eight days, get the (laughs) F out. Right. And people, it's one thing when you don't have like the means to leave and then, you know, for elderly or whoever can't really just leave, but for the people who can leave, but have that same attitude of no, I'm going to stay. I'm pretty sure the sandbag will be good enough for me. And then yes. next thing you know, they're being yes. like medevaced off the roof of their house, which has been flooded and they ha- haven't eaten in three days. Yeah. And they're just like, yeah, but my you house, see, my house. Yes. And you're like, they're sitting, they're house? sitting on the roof of their house, wasting precious, like emergency funds to get your fucking dumbass off that roof. When you've had like multiple days of warning and it was sheer hubris that just kept you there. Like anytime I see that, I'm like, I, I would just leave you there. Like you made this decision as a grown up. You find your own way off, buddy. Like I don't have uh, no. And I kind of felt like that about Goshevin. I was like, just leave him. But the, here's the other reason why Goshevin just drove me nuts was what you said before with him being suddenly the dictator. Like he was the elected mm-hmm. leader, but mm-hmm. he switched that real quick as soon as Data was like, "You guys are all going to die." He goes, "No thanks. I think we've got a fighting chance." 
fighting against what? Against who? You don't even know who these people you are. You don't even have phasers. You, you don't you even don't have, have phasers. And you're just like, well, you know what? I don't feel like leaving my whole, and, and to be fair, okay. I get that Goshevin is thinking about their legacy and their heritage yeah. and everything they've fought for and everything they've built. And I'm not saying it'd be easy to leave that behind. And the same thing with people who don't want to leave their property, right? They're afraid people mm-hmm. are going to steal it or like they grew up in this house and all that stuff. Like I get that there's memories and everything attached to that. But if you die, there's no one to cherish those memories. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you and data says, says this later in the episode that these things are just things but life is what's most important. And I hate the fact that Goshevin makes this blanket decision for all 1,500 and however many people, 253 or 1,500, actually 15,000 people. Yeah. This is not working. I can't say this number. 15,253 <laughs> people. Okay. He makes this decision for 15,000 people yeah. that none of them will leave and that all of them will die. And I thought that was completely unacceptable. Like yes. the very least he could do is warn everybody and give them the choice to either stay and fight or leave. He decided, I don't even want them to know that they should leave, which I thought was criminal. Absolutely. I mean, yes, no, it's time for like a war tribunal to be called to put this dude on, on trial because absolutely. I think any good leader worth their salt would say, thank you for the information. I don't plan to go anywhere, but those of you who wish to leave, you know, you might have elderly or children or something with you, then feel free to take this man's, you know, to heed his warning and leave. And it's not as though they'd never heard of the Federation because those two ambassadors are like, whoopee, the Federation is here. They're going to give us medals, right? It's like, so y'all know Mm -hmm. who they are. Mm -hmm. I don't understand why you're not leaving. Yes. And here's the other thing is that even if Data was successful in, in convincing everybody instantly, right? If they were like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, we're all going to die. Ah! And they all started yeah. running and packing their bags. There's still no way for the enterprise to get them off this planet. Yeah. So as I was watching, I was like, shoot, even if Data, even if and when, because I didn't remember how this episode ended at all. Um, I, I know I could not remember this episode. Yeah, I I remember I thought maybe they decided to stay and fight and then somehow Picard negotiated something with the Sheliak, but all after they were almost mm-hmm. all dead. Something like that. Yeah. I was like, how does this end? I couldn't remember. And as I was sitting there, I was just like, man, even if the even if the people on the planet are totally down and they're like, all right, we gotta go, th- he can only take like 10 of them right now. None of the transporters are working and Starfleet won't be there for another three or four weeks. Mm-hmm. So to with other ships that can go down on the planet and scoop up more people. So it was like, yikes, they're, they're really between a rock and a hard place. And you know, I love episodes like that when I cannot yeah. immediately figure out the solution. So I was really happy about that. And that, and I think that's really satisfying to those of us who are Star Trek super fans. And we've seen these episodes so many times, or we've seen the series so many times when you mm-hmm. stumble across an episode where you don't remember how it ends. And the, the solution is not clear and present. It's a treat. It's like, I don't know how they're going to make it out of this. Like, that's, that's fun. Like I, mm-hmm. I enjoy that. Of course, it's no surprise <laughs> to our listeners, but that's, you know, that's my super nerdy side where I'm like, we, I don't know how this is going to end. I'm on this like roller coaster with all of you. Um, so you're absolutely right. There is no way to get transporters through this as far as we know. And Picard is trying to buy time as the evacuation could take weeks instead of days. So here's something that bothered me. He orders Jordy and Chief O'Brien thankfully in an appropriate place on the ship, <laughs> O'Brien in the transporters mm-hmm. to make the transporters mm-hmm. go through the hyperionic atmosphere, which is not possible. 
They're like, there's no way it's, you know, it's no way it's possible. And Picard says, I'm going to make a request of you. And you do not have the option to say no. Picard didn't even say it. Picard had Riker say it. Yeah. <laughs> what was that about? about? Yeah. Picard standing there with his back to them, looking out, looking the, out window, the window. <laughs> while Riker is speaking on his behalf. Yes. Like, that was weird. That was a weird power play right there. But I think he was just desperate and losing it. And that was his version of it. Yes. Yeah. Riker's just like, we want you to do something and you cannot say it's impossible. And Jordy's like, sure. What is it? And he's like, Make here's sure this that the impossible thing work. for you to do. Yeah. It's like, wait a second. And of course, Jordy is like, uh, yes, sir. And they take off. He's and like, thought, that's impossible. Mm, okay. <laughs> Let's go, O'Brien. <laughs> yeah. And O'Brien's like, I'd rather be playing the cello. <laughs> like, he's like, can I? That reminds me of this, this episode of The Simpsons from way, way back when I was a kid, where, um, where, Burns was like talking to one of his employees and he was like, I'm going to fire you, but I want you to tell me why I shouldn't without using the letter E. And the guy's <laughs> like, well, I'm a good work guy. <laughs> worker. And he was like, wrong. And he was like, wait, but I didn't say it. And he's like, you will. And then he like pulls a little hatch underneath his feet yeah. and he falls and he's like, E. <laughs> <laughs> That's what this reminded me of. That's like, a, do that's, it without that is- doing that. That's exactly what that's like. And it bothered me because I feel like, haven't we all had a boss like that? That makes some completely impossible request of you. And you're like, Mm -hmm. that's not so, you know, my boss would be Mm -hmm. like, I need you to move the moon 16 inches to the left. And I'm like, I don't know what. And they're like, all right, get Mm -hmm. it done by tomorrow. And they walk off and you're like, what in the, I feel like that's so toxic. I feel personally, Mm -hmm. I feel like it would have been more productive for him to just brief Jordy on the situation because he has, he is chief engineer. He's senior bridge staff. It's like, mm-hmm. this is a situation. We know it's an impossible task, but we need you to make it happen like immediately or all these people will die. So mm-hmm. instead of just being like, you don't have the option to say that's impossible. Can you do this impossible thing? Great. It's like, dude, I, I didn't like mm-hmm. that. That just, that made me anxious. I didn't like And it. then later on. Yeah. And usually they do, they they're in that room in the observation lounge and they say options and everybody just tosses mm-hmm. around ideas until they come to a solution. But this time mm-hmm. Picard was just like, just do it, just do it. I'm still trying to figure out the Sheliac. You guys just handle this. And later on, when we see the big three, we've got O'Brien, Jordy, and Wesley Yes, in, in the transporter room, trying to figure this out. Picard walks in and he's just like, how's it going? And they're like, not good. This isn't working. He's like, excellent, excellent, wonderful, great. And he walks out and you're just like, yeah, he's, he's freaking, he is losing I think it right he now. Is. <laughs> this is not the Picard we know and love because this is such a stressful situation. Yeah. He's practicing what he was preaching in 10 forward saying like, do not show your weakness to your crew. I feel that being honest with your crew engenders a loyalty um, that normally Picard is really wonderful at using as a tool. Um, and here he was just like fingers in his ears going la 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 la, like down the hallway as like the ship is exploding around him. And he's like, not seeing this, not seeing this. Yeah, it was, it was very weird. Uh, but on the planet, back on the planet, uh, data has made a friend. Um, and there's this adorable gal named Ardrian. I love the names here too. They Mm -hmm. twisted things up just a little bit enough to make it like believable. Um, So she, he meets this gal, Adrian, who's like totally fascinated with cybernetics. And of course that would mean she's fascinated by data. And Mm -hmm. she's like, I believe you. I don't have like mechanical prejudices against robots. Cause that's one of the things that the colonists keep saying Mm -hmm. is like, you're just a robot. It's like, 
I could be a robot and be right. You guys, like, I don't know what this like racist thing is against. Like, and really it's robots. just Goshevin because nobody else is acting like that. Yeah. Goshevin, like, who oh, wait. hurt you? Yeah. They're all like, wait, we're going to die. Wait, what did he say? That's what they're saying. And Goshevin's just like, you're a machine. Get out of here. My grandfather's on that mountain. What? What are you even talking about? What are we talking about right now? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you, being a, being an Android is literally nothing to do with this, sir. Like, I don't know why you're just, I think he's probably just poking holes. Like if they would have sent a purple alien to tell him, he would have been like, you're purple. We're not listening to you. It's like, you just don't mm-hmm. want to hear the message. So you're shooting the messenger, I guess. I don't know. But mm-hmm. so here's something really important in the story for the plot to forward is that now data has an ally on the planet. And so Mm -hmm. she's willing to work with him because she's like, yeah, um, basically I'm not an idiot. So I believe you, uh, (laughs) and let's figure out a solution. I'm like, thank Mm you. Um, which I really, I really love that because I was afraid that, that Goshevin spoke for everyone, that everybody was just as like stubborn and nonsensical as him. But Ardrian was just like, Oh no, he's, he's, and he, she even told him you're talking nonsense. We're all going to die. Yeah. He's just like, you just underestimate our abilities. What? And so she was just like, no, ability I totally to, believe sustain, you. to sustain a phaser blast straight to the mouth. Like what are you talking about from outer space? Like, come on. Dude. So I love how she's just like, oh no, no, no. Like I believe you data and we all need to get out of here. So what do we need to do to get all these people off? That was yes. awesome. Or at the very least to convince them. Yeah, it fe- that's what also felt really real about this episode is that it felt like a real society where a leader might be saying one thing and the rest of them are like, no, I don't necessarily agree. That's what a real society is. You have discourse and you have disagreements and you have people mm-hmm. having their own opinion. Like the Edo were just single-minded in their like simplistic thoughts. And, I, and it was just so not real. And mm-hmm. this is more real. This is somebody saying we're not leaving and a bunch of people being like, um, I don't want to die. So, yeah. you know, I really yeah. appreciated that too. Yeah, I totally agree. I really appreciated the conflict in the citizens. Yeah. And they even told data later um, and Adrian, they were like, he doesn't speak for all of us. <laughs> like he's speaking yeah. for himself because when yes. he was talking, they were all like, yeah, that's right. But then when he turned around, they were like, nah, man, he does not speak for all of us. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, okay. Cause you know, it was confusing. You don't know what people think, but then they're saying they're just afraid to oppose him because he's really respected. And he, we did elect him as a leader. We do respect him and his opinions. And we disagree with him on this one thing, which is mm-hmm. a really big point. And I love the conflict of how some people are like, yes, we're with you. Let's get off this planet. And some were like, no, I want to stay. I want to fight with Goshevin. And some were like, I'm just not sure. I don't know which way to go. I thought that was really real. Yes. I felt like this was the misinformation act working full force where Goshevin was like, we're not leaving. And I don't want you to spread this alarming news to Mm -hmm. anyone. So that's Mm -hmm. why there was so much, you know, all these, all these characters are walking around with question marks in their head because they're like, uh, I've heard some rumors. I'm not sure what's going on. Goshevin mm-hmm. says we stay. He says we stay and there's nothing to be worried about. He also says that like, there's, there's nothing to be worried like, about. Dude, like you are literally responsible for the lives of 15,200 plus people. So it's not just what you want for yourself. Like, Hey, if, Hey Goshevin, if you want to stand on that mountain where your grandfather's buried and, and take the Sheliak attack full on yourself, like go ahead and do that. That's Okay that's your choice. But people are losing their sons and daughters and and family members because of your hubris. And I'm not here for that. 
That's 100%. And I was getting really, I was getting flashbacks to last week's episode with Dr. Stubbs, who was willing to kill everyone on the enterprise so that his egg could go into the star and his name could go in the history books. And he was saying one sure way to get in the history books. And Picard was just like, I don't think anyone else on this ship shares your feelings, right? Yeah. No one else is trying to die to get into the history books. And that's exactly what I was thinking. For, yeah, for you like, to get in the to, history books. Yeah. He wants to stand on his principles, but he's not allowing other people to have any other opinions than him. And he doesn't mm-hmm. want them to be informed either. Um, so data is floundering. <laughs> he's trying <laughs> logic. He's trying reason. He's just, he's being so innovative and creative, which is a treat to see from an Android, from a robot mm-hmm. who, quote unquote, only works with programming is what you would think. But he's just trying something different, trying something different, trying something different. And I kept thinking like, why doesn't he just tell Picard that he's struggling? But then we go to Picard and we see him trying to negotiate with Shelyak. And I was like, oh, Picard's also not telling him he's struggling. Yeah. And I was like, they're just all trying to save these people. They're just trying to do their best and saying it's not working or I can't figure it out. Yeah. It's just not really helpful. Right. It's like, yeah, absolutely. Go figure it out. And so, yeah, I just, I love the, um, and, and feel free to back me up if I'm going too far, but I love the speech that data gives when he's like, when Adrian says, try some reverse psychology. Yes. He gives yes. This, this speech where he's just like, I am just so you know amazed by what you all have done. These things you've built, you're going to die for your buildings and die for your structures. Your children are going to be remembered and celebrated. And then Adrian's all like, but remembered by who? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, right. That's true. You will all be dead. No one, no no one, one will be remember here to you. remember your accomplishments and your structures. I thought that was a really moving speech. And you could see people getting kind of freaked out. Yeah. They were like, what, um, what, what? Did yeah, they say like, die? <laughs> yeah. They were, you could see them kind of being like, wait, that's what we're dying for. And I thought, oh man, he's got him. And then Goshevin is just like, I don't even remember what Goshevin said, but whatever he said, well, everybody so, was like, "Woo!" This is what I wrote in my notes. Why is Goshevin so against this again? You're facing certain death. <laughs> this isn't a hard one, buddy. Just resettle somewhere else and you can be hall monitor on the new planet. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like just move to a new planet. This is something that I couldn't understand either. This colony of people have created these engineering marvels and they have managed to survive in a completely inhospitable planet for 90 years and and procreate like crazy and go from like a couple dozen settlers, you know, at the very beginning to like 15,000 plus. If you have done it once, you certainly have shown the grit to be able to do it again mm-hmm. on a planet that isn't so inhospitable where you'll have Federation backing and or support. That it is- or none at all if you don't want it. You can, yeah. you can do another, you know, toxic gaseous planet. Nobody yes. else is going to fight and you for that wasn't planet. And this wasn't even the planet you all were supposed to land on. The the colony was supposed to land on this different planet and they crash landed here. So mm-hmm. by all rights, you're not even supposed to be here. It's, there are just, it's all the points and counterpoints lead to, let's just get you the fuck off this planet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then up on the ship, I do love that Troy is working with Captain Picard because again, she's a linguistics expert question mark, but whatever. It was a nice little scene and I, I appreciated it. And I do love listening to Deanna Troy speak. Cause she has that very that really cool accent accent. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which actress Marina Sirtis does not at all. So I was like, yay, perhaps a Troy. I thought the actress actually spoke like that. And then I was like, I thought so too, no. until you told me that she did not No, <laughs> she has she like a cockney, like 
all right, governor, like kind of accent. You're like, what? It's like completely not like how Troy speaks. But anyway, she has a beautiful accent on the show. And Troy Troy and Picard are both working through this um, treaty that the Federation had signed with the Sheliak 100 plus years ago. And the Sheliak have a very, very complex language. And the treaty is like half a million words long because they wanted everything set in stone with no room for interpretation for later, like renegotiation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And she does this really beautiful job at demonstrating how difficult it can be to have different alien species communicate with each other without relying too heavily on a universal translator. So she Mm -hmm. picks up Picard's glass tea mug, the one that I love so much. And says a word in some alien language. And she says, what did I say? And he's like, cup, glass. And she's like, are you sure? I could have been saying clear, liquid, brown, hot. Like there's all these other words that I could have been saying. And Mm -hmm. Picard is like, "Mm, okay, point well taken. And I thought that it really does a beautiful job to not only set the stage for the later episode when we see Darmok, you know, and Picard and mm-hmm. Darmok are on this planet and they, they speak, this alien race speaks like an English-based language, but they mm-hmm. use the words in a different way that make no sense to us. <clears throat> and it really kind of helps bridge this gap between different alien races, or at the very least highlights the difficulty that alien races have to surmount in order mm-hmm. to communicate with each other. And I was like, yay, Troy, way to be a kick-ass like counselor. Season three, Troy, is a good look. Yes, I'm I'm really enjoying season three, Troy, so far. And the other thing is that here she's talking about alien races, but really it's humans as well, right? Different mm-hmm. cultures, because she mentions that, that our outlook of the world is how we use language. And like, I remember when I was learning Japanese in um, high school. I'm sorry, you learned Japanese? I did learn Japanese. Wait, <laughs> I don't know how much okay, Japanese I've known you for I know. Like 10 years. I did not know that. That is so cool. We're going to Japan, everybody. We are yeah. going to be recording live from Tokyo next week. I'm just oh kidding. Oh my I gosh. Wish. That'd be so amazing. Yeah. I took <laughs> Japanese in, in middle school and high school and college. Oh my and- God, Sharice, you are so effing cool. Oh, thank you. So one of the things I realized when I was learning Japanese was I didn't, I did not ever learn the word for need because I said it so much in English. I need this. I need a pencil. I need a break. I need some water. Yeah. And I never learned the word for need in Japanese. Never. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that was not a phrase. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, like what? Wait a minute. That's just that one word showed me such a difference in cultures. The amount of times that I said the word need without even thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it wasn't literally a need. It's just a way of talking where it's just this like grabby kind of a attitude, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, even just that one word really kind of opened my eyes to say, wow, these cultures are very different. So I can imagine when we're talking about whole different planets of people and how societies and cultures can be so different and they're trying to communicate. So yeah, I think Troy did a, a great job. And that explanation was like, wow, yeah, this is really hard. And Picard is just like, this is hard and I have to find a way. I'm not going to let all these people die. I have to find a way, which is very, very Picard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I absolutely understand like just how important it is to be able to use language to like shape the world in which you live. And then to take, you know, we all by a certain age kind of have a certain 
mindset, a certain language base that we use, a certain way of speaking. And then, yeah, forget alien races. You go to a different country and it's completely different. Just like you said, the need thing. It's like, wait, but I don't know how to express that in this other language. Never mind across a different planet. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. So I thought that was a small scene. It seemed a little bit of a throwaway scene, but it was really beautifully done. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, subtlety is something I wish I was good at, but I'm not. I'm about as subtle as a bright red garbage truck. Okay. But yeah. <laughs> which is why we love you so much. That's exactly <laughs> what we love. So we get, so Picard is like, okay, let's intercept the ship because he figures if they're going to take it over in four days and the Shelly X system is like a bajillion years away, they must have already dispatched a ship. It must be on its way. It's probably almost here. So they're mm-hmm. like, let's find that ship, let's intercept it, and we're going to negotiate. And Riker's like, um, Captain, that could be seen as an act of war, and we'd probably lose that war. And Picard's like, we got to do what we got to do. So they go and intercept the ship, and thankfully the Sheliak don't just blow them out of the sky, which yep. was a very real possibility, but they didn't. And um, Picard gets to chat with them on the view screen, and then actually gets to, he finds a little loophole in the, in the treaty so that he can actually go on their ship. And so we see a new ship, which I love seeing new interiors of ships. Mm-hmm. I think it's just one of the most fun things because you're like, how many more arrangements could you do? You could do anything, but these set designers and writers and everything have to think about what would something look like that has never existed before that does not exist. They're totally making yes. this up. And this particular alien race is just kind of a dark cavern with lights with just like crystals, crystals all over the place. Yeah. No buttons, no panels, no beeping. And I don't know if you noticed, but when they get onto the Shelly X ship, we have a new ship sound. It's like a totally different ship sound. Um, I mean, that would make the background hundred percent sense though, wouldn't it? Because mm-hmm. it does. We yeah. love, we love the like calming, like it's almost womb like like thrum of the enterprise. I love it. It's very soothing and it's very subtle. Mm -hmm. So it's in the background all the time without drawing your attention to it. But yes, it would make sense that different alien races have different technology. And so their ships would make different sounds. I love that. I didn't notice that at all. I was just so like loving the Sheliak race look and, Mm -hmm. and the crystals that they were kind of standing in that looked very cool. Although I did think to myself, I feel like this only looks really cool because it's dimly lit and they're sort of in shadow. Oh, for sure. But if, for sure. But if it were mm-hmm. like brightly lit as the Enterprise, you'd be like, Party City <laughs> strikes again. But they do I'm a sure really they made that job. costume. It doesn't look like Party City. It looks like handmade. And it of also course. looks like it also looks like a comforter just wrapped around yes. a guy yes. moving their arms back and forth. So both <laughs> things are true. Yes. It looks like a handmade comforter. Yes, but it looked amazing. So I was cool Yeah, I that. did like the... I like the dim light and notice they didn't have smoke, which is what they do for the Klingon ships, Thank right? They you. make it dark and smoky. Um, but yes. I, I love the Klingon ships. I think the Klingons are just, as far as costuming and design and stuff, they're, they're my favorite because they have more stuff. They have so yes. much stuff, yes. but it doesn't look messy. It just looks cool. It's um, utilitarian. So yeah. Yes, Absolutely. it's utilitarian. Yeah, they're like the James Bonds of space. And I mean, come on, you're I taking apart that. pieces of your shoes to make a fucking disruptor. Like, come on. <laughs> that is That's so James so Bond. Cool. I'm just waiting so for cool. them to like push the button on their watch and release a grappling hook for crying out loud. Like <laughs> we're about one step <laughs> they away just from climb that. with their bare hands. They're 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 <laughs> yeah, they're how they roll. So yeah, the Picard, shell do look very, very cool. 
the shell like looks super cool and kind of weird, but also cool. And then Picard's just trying to like negotiate and the Shelliac are not having any of it. He's like, come on, let's talk about this. And Shelly are like, no, it's our planet. Get them off or we will kill them. And then Picard gets really pissed because hit all of his efforts to negotiate are just not working. So he starts yelling. And I was like, um, sir, that is not appropriate. When you're does that tra- ever worked? To- yeah. So he starts yelling, like, listen to me, darn it. We've got to come to it. Boop. <laughs> they just beam him off. I was like, whoa, they just hung up in his face and transported yep. him. They yep. didn't even push a button. So I was like, can the Shelly transport people by thought? That was so cool. And their transporter looked different. Like the little, mm-hmm. woo, yeah, it was like a different look. And I was like, and then Riker's just like, so I'm guessing that didn't go well. <laughs> and you're like, oh, they're down to like 12 hours at this point before they need to get yes. these people off the planet. And I still and did not know how the episode was going to end. <laughs> yes. And the transporter's still not working when Captain Picard goes in, or I think it was Riker goes to the transporter room and we see the big no, three. It was, it was Picard. Was it? Okay. So he's, you know, they're, they're beaming these tubes off and on and the tubes are coming back like broken and melted. And I was like, if I... I would be nerding out so hard if I was working in like the prop department, making like a tube that's like molten looking, but like light enough that Jordy could pick up. Like it was just so, so cool. Back on the planet, things are also devolving badly. Um, Data's having a super secret meeting with some of the colonists in Ardrian's house. And they're talking about relocation. And they're like, will the Federation like help us out? Or will they leave us alone? Because we kind of like to be left alone and you know, Data's giving them assurances of whatever they need, you know, the Federation will be there or if whatever they want, you know, they could leave you alone or they could be there as much as you want, whatever. And mm-hmm. Goshevin is like, what? A super secret meeting I wasn't invited to and storms in and looks mm-hmm. at everybody and is pissed and then assaults Data and shocks him and knocks him out and then storms out. And these poor people are like, you killed him. And he's like, you can't kill something that's not alive. He's a robot. Again, what robot hurt you in your past, man? Yeah. What, who Which did I this? I feel like there couldn't have been one Benjamin? because you had no technology like that. Yes. So why are you Y'all so made an aqueduct. data? Your biggest fucking thing is an aqueduct. I'm pretty sure you can't build cybernetic, like positronic brains yet. So yeah. no But we did learn that you. they do have, they do have weapons of some kind. So now we answer well, that question. Yeah, At least I weapons guess- against data. Who knows what that was or where he got it. He just like unplugged like the toaster and zapped him yeah. with it. But pretty but yeah, much. So he knocked him unconscious. Poor data. And then he says, and then he says, don't worry, you'll all see that I was right in the end. And you're like, yeah, but if you're wrong, you're not going to be able to say my bad because everybody will be dead. But right about what? Like, how could you be right about the fact that there's, yeah, that there's really no threat and they really don't have to leave and they can fight and defend themselves and all this, all this stuff. Wait a minute. Does Goshevin really think that the Shelyak are not coming? Is that what he He was right about? He, he's saying he's, he's been telling data that when they come, they have nothing to fear because they can stand and fight and stand their ground. And that data saying that they're going to be destroyed is just like overblowing the situation that they can defend themselves and defend their property. Cause that sounds like those idiots who won't evacuate from like a category 11 hurricane. And they're like, I'll stay and fight. Um, it's wind. (laughs) How are you going to fight? How are you going to fight yeah. this? Like, it's just yeah, so, so he's just, he doesn't believe that the threat is as great as Data's saying, that they're all going to die. He just thinks it's going to be like a firefight and they'll stand their ground and not have to leave, which is very naive and based on nothing. 
completely based on nothing, especially when data is like they have far superior technology than you do. So not so much. So Adrian's able to kind of bring data around. He pops back up. Actually, Data brings himself around. Yeah, because he does. Adrian has no technology to actually help him, and Data she just was pops back up. <laughs> she yeah, was trying. Got... She was scanning him with her little like planet, tran- her planet tricorder. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and just like I don't Which know, really what just to do reads, with this. just reads uh, aqueducts. That's that's all they can exactly. Scan. That's all it reads. And so Data pops up, and he's just like, "Oh, my brain can repair itself." Which I was like, "That's neat. I didn't know that." It has it has a self diagnostic feature built in. Um, I'm just glad he didn't tell Arjun about his off switch because he's just telling everybody about <laughs> stop telling people about their off, about switch my off switch. Stop uh, telling people about off switch. Yeah. Um, so he and Arjun are speaking and she basically says like, look, you have used words that didn't work and humans kind of don't respond well to words. You need to act. Um, and here's a little bit of trivia and I'm paraphrasing what Melinda Snodgrass said. She actually said this in an interview, and I died laughing reading this yesterday as I was doing my research, she said, I really wanted Data to have like a dick wagging contest with these people and show that his dick was better, bigger than like theirs. It's like how alpha males kind of try mm-hmm. to like negotiate. And I was like, did she say dick a bunch of times in an interview? Like, I, was, <laughs> I was like, yes. All right, Melinda, way to not mince words about it. But that basically is what she wanted. And she kind of got a little bit of that. They had to sort of parse it down a little, but Data was like, all right, I am going to use force to get my point across and he blows up like a small portion of like the aqueduct and it's like the Shelyak have way more powerful weapons you won't even see your enemy they will destroy this entire colony from orbit so you will die mm-hmm. without ever being able to see the face of your murderers and the Shell- i mean i don't think they have faces but whatever you will never you will never see the mm-hmm. comfort you won't even know what they look your, like yeah yeah of your murderers so the, and, and then he says the choice is yours and I was like, wait, but um, but, but they turned it down earlier. <laughs> you keep insisting. So the choice isn't it. Although Goshevin made that choice and didn't inform everybody mm-hmm. else. But I mm-hmm. like that he made such a strong show of force that the other colonists were like, oh, okay. Now I'm really getting what we're up against. And that's what they needed. They needed to see yeah. like, I mean, Data saying I'm one Android with one phaser and I can bring you all to your knees. Yeah. So this is this what is you're up ship. against because. Yeah. This is because Goshevin was just like, we can fight, we can fight, we can fight. And he had guards standing all around the aqueduct and data took them out in about 1.1 seconds. So for him to see like, oh, this is what you mean by fighting. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Okay. With the stun setting for crying out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's finally getting people around up top. Picard is finally coming around. He's like, aha, he finds section 1 million of this treaty allows for third-party arbitration and for the negotiators to select that said third party. So he mm-hmm. selects this alien race, the Grizellans, who are in their hibernation cycle for another six months. And I was like, yes, this <laughs> is the Picard I know and love. He mm-hmm. is like pulling rabbits out of his hat and he is making it happen. And I love it. And the Sheliak. <laughs> Are like, wait, maybe we can come to, and then he cuts them off. He hangs up on them now. Mm-hmm. And then Warp yeah. goes, 
the Sheliak are hailing us again. And I love this delicious moment when Picard's like, the phone is ringing. Your ex is texting you. Like, can we talk? And you're like, I'm going to dust bust for a minute. I'm going to like do my makeup Mm -hmm. first. So he walks up to the little plaque that says USS Enterprise, which every ship has. And he kind of like runs his finger along the top and checking for dust. Again, where is space dust coming from? Mm -hmm. Sharice, I know this Mm -hmm. is like your thing. So many questions. Yeah. (laughs) And he's like, all right, I guess we can answer. And he's just making them sweat. And I love it. It's such a great negotiation tactic. You now have them pinned and they have been such dicks to you and Mm -hmm. so inflexible. And now they're like, can we talk? And you're like, I don't know. I mean, my schedule is awfully booked today. I loved it. I loved it so much. (laughs) Picard got them in such a good way. He was like, look, we're going to have to wait six months for the, um, the arbitrator to come, or you can give me the four weeks I asked for to get these colonists off the planet. And then they were like, that's unacceptable. We're moving on right now. Okay, fine. Then the treaty is null and void. It's our planet now. Thanks. Bye. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. And now they're like, four weeks is acceptable. <laughs> now it's okay because they don't want to wait six months. And I was just like, you yeah, Picard. Like, yeah. And I also love the dusting and I loved everyone's face on the bridge. While it's like, yes. you know, in the little, and uh, they're like, sir, sir, the Shelyak are still hailing, sir. <laughs> and he's just like, doo, 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 doo. yeah, that yes. was so, it so was, nice. it was delicious. I was like, this is so delicious. It's got to be fattening. I love this so much. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so he, this is something though, that I was wondering, I was like, Picard, maybe play it safe. You're, you're basically buying six months of time. And, or you can have like the four weeks, but we already know it's going to take four weeks and four days to get everybody off. We still don't have the transport. No, 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 no. It's going to take, it's going to take three weeks when the enterprise, um, back when the Federation backup comes, Oh, the Federation backup will be there for three more weeks, but they're bringing a bunch of ships and they'll take everybody out in one swoop. But if the enterprise could do it, it would take them four weeks and four days, but the enterprise can't do it because the transporters don't work. That okay, thank you. That makes it so it's like Picard, you need four weeks and four days, maybe ask for like six weeks, just you know, on the off chance because they still don't have the transporters. Okay, that makes more sense. I missed that little bit. So now that the colonists are willing to move on to another planet and relocate, Data mm-hmm. is getting ready to leave and he gets into the shuttlecraft for takeoff. And the name of the shuttlecraft is right front and center on the screen, and it's called the Onizuka. And I know that Star Trek has a delicious Easter egg habit of naming their shuttlecrafts after noted physicists or space explorers or astronauts and things like that. Um, And it's called the Onizuka. And I did a a mini dive on him. He was the first Asian American astronaut in the, in NASA. Um, I had a neighborhood like whoop, whoop. He was from Kileakekua, Hawaii, which is like 10 minutes up the road from where I used to live in Hawaii. I was like, I know Kileakekua very well. He went to the high school. He went to Konawana High School, graduated in 1964. Um, my, I have family members who went to that high school. I was like, hey, look at that. Um, <laughs> very, very, very sadly, he was killed in the Challenger explosion in 1986. Mm. Um, so that made me really sad. But I also felt a sense of like hometown pride about, even though Kilekiko was my hometown, but I lived right by there for a couple of years. Um, I was like, Hey, local boy, 
makes the town proud. Like this, this was a really, really big deal. Um, and he is buried in Honolulu and there's a monument to him as the first Asian American astronaut. And I thought that that was really lovely. He was of Japanese, um, Hawaiian descent, which I thought was really beautiful. And I was very touched that TNG would, um, set another tiny little Easter egg without any explanation and just sort of honor him in that way. I thought that was so nice. I love that. And I love how they do that for their shuttlecraft. And I love how you know mm-hmm. that for their shuttlecraft so that we keep getting <laughs> these little, these little gems throughout here. That who would even, who would even know that that's super cool. Yeah. Okay. There's one more thing I want to mention that we kind of skipped over earlier, which was Adrian kisses data yes. at one point. Yeah, because she's just so into him. She just loves his logic and his reason and the fact that he can't be cruel or deceptive or all of these aspects of humanity that she perceives to be very negative and also unavoidable as humans. Yes. Um, she just appreciates like the vulnerability and honesty and like purity that data represents. So she kisses him and Data's just like, please explain. And they have this whole Mm -hmm. conversation of what just happened right now. And, um, basically she's, she's into him, but he's like taking it as, I think that was just a kiss of support. That was just a friendship type kiss on the mouth. Um, <laughs> uh, Sharice and, she, and I do not show support for each other that way. We don't, we definitely don't. <laughs> That's not how you even, show support. Even before COVID, we did not show support <laughs> that way with each other. Um, so, so then, um, later on, we see her kind of saying goodbye to data and he's getting everything ready for the shuttlecraft to take off. And, um, she's just like, so, I mean, are you going to remember me and all this stuff? She's still kind of flirting with him. And he's like, of course I have a perfect memory. He's not getting Mm -hmm. the flirting at all. He doesn't pick Mm -hmm. up on subtle social cues. He's still learning. He's still learning. What data is not great in relationships. Relationships are chock full of subtlety. Yeah, Yeah, true. And also Adrian of all people should know that. (laughs) And so, and I think she does, right. So she likes him, but also recognizes that he can't like her. And so she's mm-hmm. sad and she's kind of hurt that he's not going to have feel like have those warm and fuzzies for her as far as she knows, but mm-hmm. also she gets it right. So she can't be too hurt. And then data kisses her because he notices she's sad and he wants her to feel better. And I thought that is so sweet and actually a really good call. Like I think data could make a really good boyfriend if he wasn't so bad at it. Um, there's like possibility there, right? Cherise, <laughs> I could be an amazing ice skater if I wasn't so bad at it. <laughs> Well, that's what I was thinking. I, I was like, wow, he could do this, but he kind of can't do this. And we're going to see that later in TNG. But um, yeah, but I thought the kiss was very sweet. And I thought I thought she was very sweet. I really liked her. And I thought yes. um, it's a little bit sad she felt for again. a robot. But yeah, me too. Me too. She would make an excellent addition to the crew. I mean, we lost um, Sonia Gomez. Maybe we could get her in. Um, but her planet's going to need her. And listen, Sonia Gomez was no great loss. Let's, let's <laughs> pop Adrian in. She's super fascinated with cybernetics. She can get, she can get, you know, on the like advanced placement program and accelerate her right into the crew. Um, well, I will say that the way that she kissed data in the middle of his sentence um, with no, you know, he wasn't throwing her flirty signs. If it wasn't data, I would have been really irritated by that because it's, it's, I feel like it's just not appropriate, not okay to do someone to do to someone considering mm-hmm. it was data. I was like, okay, he can't feel offended. So, all right. And then when they do say goodbye, he does kiss her back and she's like, oh, I'm going to like take that with me forever. And I thought that was really sweet. Um, mm-hmm. 
because he was like trying. He was trying. And I thought that was really, really cute. But if it wasn't data, I would have been like, you need to back your face up away from that person's <laughs> face. That's not okay to do to somebody. Again, I'm as subtle as a fire truck. So, <laughs> and you know, you better believe I told that guy under no uncertain terms, don't do that again. And he was like, mm-hmm. he shrunk into the size of an ant inside, I think, but he didn't do it again. And I was like, listen, if I'm throwing you flirty signs and we're kind of, you know, <laughs> okay. But I wasn't, I think I was talking about like a business meeting. And he, you couldn't yeah. have picked a worse time. I was like, nope. Yeah. Nope, and you're nope, never nope, going to nope. get flirty signs from data. Like that's just never going to nope. be a thing. Yeah, exactly. So. Mm-hmm. Um, so back on board, you know, the issue has been resolved. Data and Picard are meeting his ready room. And Picard says he's like, he's listening to the recording of data playing, which is a callback to the beginning of the episode. And he's playing with a lot of feeling and data's like, I don't have feelings. I can't play with feelings. Like, but you actually are. This is a really beautiful scene. It's kind of showing, I think it was a very subtle way to kind of give him an attaboy for like a job well done. Mm-hmm. I thought. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I thought it I was thought so too. Great. Yeah. And then, and Picard tells him, kind of points out his own creativity because he's like, that's not me playing. That's me perfectly mimicking these two other artists. Mm-hmm. And Picard says, well, isn't that creativity right there? Because these two artists have very different styles, completely different, but yes. you fuse them in a brand new way. And that's basically what art is, right? There's nothing new under it the is. sun, but anyone who looks new, you can always find elements of other artists combining in a new way to create a new look. So that's exactly what it is. That's what mm-hmm. art is. And so I thought that was really beautiful. And then data agrees and says, well, I mean, I guess I do have some kind of innovation skills because he's been sitting here doing this on the planet for four straight days saying, yeah. this didn't work. Let's try this. This didn't work. Let's try this. Exactly. This didn't work. Let's try this. So I thought that was a really good ending. No moral of the story weirdness. It was just yep. like very subtle and really nice. Yeah. I think we said goodbye to the moral of the story in season one, hopefully. And it seems to be spot on so far, although it's very early in season three, hopefully we got rid of like the random C plots and B plots. You know, we still see some B-plot a little bit um, in season two, uh, three and four. I mean, there's always going to be a teeny bit, but this one was just one cohesive story and I loved it. And that's my final thought. Do you have any final wrap-up thoughts on this episode, Cherise? Agreed. I thought it was awesome. Yay. I love this episode so much. <laughs> it is very fun. I'm going to move on and watch the other ones as we do this podcast. And then years later, I'm going to come back to this one and I won't remember it again. And then I'll it'll be new to me again. So that's kind of yep. cool. <laughs> All right. Next week, we're talking season three, episode three, The Survivors. Thank you so much for just talking Star Trek with me, Um, Charisse. It's just a highlight of my week. Yeah, I love doing this. It's so much fun. Thank you to everyone who is listening. We cannot wait to do this again next week. So we'll see you guys next week. Bye, everyone. 
story about your end. Let's celebrate and kiss all the joys. 